0: It's a gift to worship with you if you're new to our congregation and you're in the room here. uh, My name is Rich, I'm the lead pastor here at New Life, and at the end of our service, I'll be downstairs and would love to connect with you before you head out of the building. And for those of you watching on newlife.nyc or Facebook or YouTube, uh, just so glad that you're worshiping with us. Have some wonderful information, our new information around what's happening uh, in our congregation at Long, uh, in Long Island. And so I've gone back and forth. Is it in Long Island or on Long Island? I don't know. Uh, and so I got a wonderful grammar lesson be, uh, between services here. And so I think it's in Long Island. Uh, our congregation is one church in two locations, uh, in Queens here and in Nassau County, Long Island. And uh, two years ago, New Life East was birthed. And from the very beginning, we knew that one of our pastors, Pastor Red, our launch pastor, would get the congregation going, create teams, and then we would find someone who we would place in there as the congregational pastor. The hope in this is that Pastor Red will then serve for about a year uh, Pastor Dre over there uh, in Nassau County, and then we'll figure out a way for Red to do it again because Red has so many wonderful gifts of starting things. And so some people have been asking, is Red leaving? Red's not going anywhere. We're just figuring out different ways for him to use his gifts in ways like we just did uh, in Long Island. But next Sunday, we have an official kind of transition of leadership. I want you to be praying for New Life East. I just wanted to show you a video because there's just wonderful things happening uh, at that uh, location. So hit the like, check out just this new information about New Life East. Hey, New Lifers, Pastor Rich here. We are in a great season in the life of our church. Two years ago in 2021, New Life East, our New Life Fellowship congregation in Long Island, officially launched. And here we are two years later at a moment of transition. From the very beginning, we knew that this transition day would come. And I'm so excited that we're here at this very moment, excited to see what God is doing. Last year, we brought in Pastor Andre Gray to be an associate pastor at New Life Fellowship East. And we knew that he was going to step in as the congregational pastor role to succeed the launch pastor, Red Sevilla. And we are at that moment. It's a very exciting time. And God has been at work in the life of this congregation over the last few years. Red When we had this idea of starting a new congregation, uh, we asked you to launch this thing because of your wonderful apostolic gifts. Uh, Where have you seen God at work in the last few years? When I look back, one of the words that come to me is just this, the word underdog. We felt like such underdogs as we started. Uh, We had had no building. Uh, We
1: didn't know where we were gonna meet. We just believed, we believed that God was at, at work. I mean, it's almost miraculous that we're in this moment.
0: And we brought in Pastor Andre Gray, who on September 24th is going to step in as the Congregational Pastor. Andre, we're just so excited that you're here. Where have you seen God at work in your life and in the life of this community?
1: I'm excited. I'm excited about this season that we're in and that, that where the Lord has New Life Feast and personally where the Lord has my family to be a part of what God is doing in this space. When I reflect on the last year and just where I've seen the Lord moving, God has been introducing and inviting people from within the community to join what God is doing. I remember when I first got here, there was a picture that I'd seen of some of the original services that were happening at New Life. East. In those pictures, there must have been about 20 or 25 p.m. or so. And then when I reflect on where we are now and when I look out into where God has us now, there's probably around 120, 130 or so people that are in the room. Numbers don't always tell the full story, but they do tell us part of the story. So when I think about those individuals that are filling those pews, that represents God doing some deep transformational work in the life of people in Nassau County. God has been at work, and I believe that he's going to continue to do that work in the months, in the years, and in the decades to come.
0: On September 24th on Long Island, we're going to have our official transition and installation service. It's at 11:45. It, maybe you want to join us for that day, but it's going to be a day of celebration to see what God is doing in the life of this church. Amen. Amen. God is at work in some wonderful, wonderful ways and this really connects to Uh, Our time of giving, our time of offering. Uh, New Life East would not be able to be where it's at right now without the faithful generosity of our congregation. For a few years, we had uh, saved money through our Christmas offerings to get this off the ground. And uh, we are here where we're at right now because of your generosity And in order for us to get to the next stage of development in the life of the church We're just going to need to continue to cultivate generosity We are at a really strategic, wonderful point in the life of our church in Long Island Uh, We've run out of space, amen Isn't that a wonderful problem to have? Uh, The problem, however, is over the last year We have not identified the next location that could really hold Uh, the amount of people that are coming and the amount of children that are coming to that area. We've looked at over 100 places in Long Island... And we have come up with nothing at this point. And so I want to invite you, number one, to pray. Pray. Maybe you have a connection. Maybe you know someone or uh, a church, a building uh, that would, um, you can connect us with. So just pray for us that we would find the right space to accommodate the wonderful life and growth that's happening at New Life over there in Nassau County. But secondly, that you would continue to give and to support the work that we are doing. We are reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is good news for us in Queens. This is good news for us in Nassau County. And uh, we get an opportunity to participate in that in our generosity. And so whether you give on elmhurst.nyc, newlife.nyc, whether you text your gift at 646-846-9555, or whether you give at the back of this building, the back of this room, Uh, There's some boxes there. However you give and to support our ministry, we're just so grateful that you are partnering with, with us in this way. With that, as we do every Sunday, let's pray our prayer of generosity together. Father, you are an abundant giver. There is nothing that I have that you have not given me. The way of your kingdom is the way of generosity. Help us to honor you with our resources. Free us from the deceit of riches lead us on the path of generosity for your glory, Lord, for the abundance of our own lives and for the sake of others. Amen. Before we get into our message today, we're going to have a baptism. And baptisms are always wonderful opportunities for us to bear witness to what Jesus is doing in our church. When someone gets baptized and they go into the waters of baptism, it is participation in the death of Jesus And when they come out of the water, it is a recognition that they are participating in the resurrection, in the newness that comes when someone says yes to Jesus Christ. And so we have a new lifer named Daniel who's getting baptized. We're going to see his story. Amen. And when Daniel comes out of the water, as it is in our tradition here, we just don't go a little. Oh, it's pretty cool. I mean, we celebrate with Daniel that something wonderful has happened here today, something sacred and holy and beautiful. And so, I'll uh, hit the lights to check out Daniel's story.
2: My name is Daniel Cow. I'm 15 years old and in high school. Before coming to Christ, in my early walk with Jesus, I wasn't focused on him. I, more had, I had him more as an accessory to my life instead of putting him at the center. I just had him when I needed him. I prayed to him when I needed something. I didn't give him praise or just talk to him on a daily basis. I more had him like a genie in a bottle instead of a, a sovereign power of God. My friends, my peers, my teachers, they all saw that mask, but I wasn't being genuine throughout the pandemic it transferred back to christian private christian school and throughout my eighth grade year i was mentioned by my teachers i learned a lot about god a lot about the different doctrines and theologies and things about him who he was and what it meant to be a christian it brought me closer to god and what it meant to be a follower of jesus and it really just built a firm foundation of, of my faith from all of that, I, I saw more things in myself. I realized that I was sinful compared to Jesus' life and what he did. I realized that I was not enough, I was inadequate, and that I did need a savior, that I needed someone to cover up for my sins because I couldn't do it on my own. After I, put, I decided to, to follow Christ, a lot of things have changed. Instead of focusing on what I wanted, on my desires, I decided to focus on his kingdom, on like leading others to Him, to focus on Him, like reading the Bible. I used to never do that until recently. And now that it's really been helpful, another thing that I've done, I started to pray to Him, not only for things that I wanted, but for other people, or just in thanks and adoration. I want to be baptized today because I want to show my love and commitment to Jesus, and to show how He's changed my life for the better, from being a sinner to being one of His children.
3: Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. So good to be with you all. My name is Justin, and I get to direct our high school and middle school ministries. And it is such a joy to be here with Daniel. I'm excited to baptize you today. Uh, One of the things I love about Daniel is that he is just so willing to serve, uh, so open to discuss his faith when we are in small groups uh, when we are meeting on Friday nights, uh, Daniel is asking the right questions. Um, he, is, he has a posture of curiosity um, when it comes to his faith in Jesus uh, and when it comes to his struggles, and I love that about Daniel. Um, what I also love about him is that he has just this joyful attitude when he's around our student ministry. I mean, we are picking up and breaking down tables, and he is doing it with a smile, y'all. He is smiling. He is, hey, Justin, how can I help you? Um, And so I love the way that Jesus is working in his life. So uh, with that being said, um, Daniel, uh, do you renounce Satan and his works? Yes. And do you proclaim Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Yes. And with that proclamation, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit.
0: Of God's blessing over Daniel's life and we want to pray, Daniel, that uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful biblical name of someone who was really, who stood out in some profound ways uh, for the living God and God's hand is on your life. We want to pray that the Holy Spirit would release every gift in you that he's put and that uh, God would use you in some profound ways to bring people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so, Jesus, we bless our brother Daniel. We thank you for his life, for his witness, for his testimony, for the ways that you have been at work in his life. And Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit would ignite a fire in him, that you would use him in powerful ways, that people would come to know of your love through his life. And so for all these things as a community, as brothers and sisters, we bless our brother today in the name of Jesus. And everyone said... Amen. 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 Well, friends, good morning. Great to have you with us. Uh, God has already been at work in our gathering today, in our singing, in our praying, in our baptizing, and I trust that God will meet us in the preaching of Holy Scripture, the preaching of His Word. Uh, Today is our second week of Vision Sunday. Vision Sunday is an opportunity for us to recall who has God called us to be as a congregation and what has God called us to do as a congregation. Uh, Last week I mentioned that there are three particular words that we're focusing on last week, today, and next week. And those three words are uh, presence, priorities, and pathway, presence, priorities, and pathways. And at the end of our service today, one of the next steps we're gonna take is to help you take the next step in our serving fair. At the end of the first service, we connected people with this Vision Sunday into opportunities to figure out how God might be calling you uh, to build What's going, what's happening here at New Life, and so at the end of our service, and I'll mention this towards the end of my message. There's going to be a serving fair down in the Shell Room, but those three words have been really important for us: presence, priorities, and pathway. What does it mean for God for for us to be the followers of Jesus in this particular time in history, in Queens, in New York City, in Nassau County? The priorities is what we're going to focus on today. What are the particular areas that I believe God is calling us to focus on over the next 9 to 12 months as a church family? And then next week, we're going to talk about the pathway. What does it mean to get there? And so the theme of our talk today is is really about building, building together. And so when you came in, you probably should receive this Lego uh, uh, kind of stress reliever. Um, We got this for you because you're stressed. We know this. Uh, And so... (laughs) Uh, It's an opportunity for you to work out your stress uh, on a day-to-day basis, but it's also a reminder that we're all building together. And so my hope is that you don't throw this in the toy chest or or throw this in the closet. Put it somewhere visible to remind you, in light of what we're going to learn about today in today's message, that God has a unique calling over your life. Uh, And may this be a reminder of that And so we're going to look at a passage of scripture If you have a Bible, if you have your phone, uh, any device You can turn to the book of Nehemiah We'll have it on the screen as well The book of Nehemiah is a long chapter I'm not going to read the entirety of the chapter uh, But you'll get the gist of it as I read through this text And so uh, Nehemiah chapter 3 Beginning in verse number one, hear the word of the Lord. Eliashib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the Sheep Gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section. And Zakur, son of Imri, built next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hasenah. They laid its beams and put its doors and bolts and bars in place. Merimoth, son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, repaired the next section. Next to him, Meshullam, son of Barakiah, the son of Meshezebel made repairs, and next to him Zadok, son of Bana, also made repairs. Are you with me still? <laughs> Verse 6, it gets better. The Joshana gate was repaired by Joida, son of Paseah, and Meshulam, son of Besodea. They laid its beams and put its doors with their bolts and bars in place. Next to them, repairs were made by men from Gibeon and Mitzpah, Melitiah of Gibeon and Jaden of Maranoth, places... Under the authority of the governor of Trans Euphrates. Uziel, son of Hariah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired the next section, and Hananiah, one of the perfume makers, made repairs next to that. They restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. I know no one's sleeping yet, uh, but we're going to continue here. Verse 13. The fountain gate was repaired by Shalom, son of colonel r- ruler of the district of Mitzvah. He rebuilt it, roofing it over and putting its doors and bolts and bars in place. He also repaired the wall of the pool of Siloam by the king's garden as far as the steps going down from the city of David. Beyond, beyond him, Nehemiah, son of Asbuk, ruler of a half district of beth made repairs up to a point opposite the tomb of David, as far as the artificial pool, and the house of the heroes, and then we're going to come to a very climactic end here, uh, verse 28 through verse 29. Above the horse gate, the priests made repairs, each in front of his house. Next to them, Zadok, son of Immer, made repairs opposite his house. Next to him, Shemaiah, son of uh, Shechaniah, the guard at the east gate, made re. Hairs. This is the word of God, brothers and sisters. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the gift of Holy Scripture, for the gift of your word, and for all the ways you are going to animate this word in us. And so, Lord, give us ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart to receive all you have for us this day. We pray these things in Jesus' name and everyone says, Amen. Amen. I love recounting my first real full-time job. I was 17 years old, and I worked for a movie theater on 68th Street and Broadway called Sony Theaters. It's not named that today, but that's what it was called back then. And I loved working there. I had many different jobs at the theater, working the box office, working the concession stand, but my favorite job was to be the guy who cleans up the movie theater after the movie is over. I loved it for two reasons. The first reason I loved this part of the job was because I really had to just wait until the movie finished, which meant I watched a lot of movies as I worked in the theater, sat in the back, and when the movie was over, I would then clean up. The second reason I really enjoyed this part of the job was because I would find more money on the floor than I made in a given hour minimum wage in 1997 was four dollars and 25 cents. I would find five dollar bills and ten dollar bills and twenty dollar bills. On that shift, I would make far more money finding money than the actual hourly rate that I was paid. And so I really loved working that. When they would say, you're working in the box office, I just know, oh, this is a bad day. But when they said, you're cleaning up the theaters, I'm getting paid, baby, I'm getting paid. And so Typically, whenever the movie is over and the credits start to roll, that's when everyone leaves the theater. Except if it's a Marvel movie because that's when everyone stays because you know that there's a post credit scene that's about to ensue. And so one day, as I'm cleaning up and looking for $5 bills and $10 bills, I notice that everyone is leaving except two people at this theater. They're looking intently at the credits as they are Rolling. And at one point, uh, as the credits are rolling, I hear the guy, it looked like it was a father-daughter, he goes, there you go, there it is. I don't know what her role was on the production of the movie, but they saw her, her, her name there, and they pointed it out, and they had a wonderful moment in that space as I was looking for $10 bills and $5 bills. When I thought about that, I thought about an article I read earlier this year in the New York Times, The article is called, Why I Watch the Closing Credits of Every Movie I See. And this gives you kind of a picture of all of the different pieces and parts and roles that people play in order to put together a movie like that. And one of the quotes stood out to me. The uh, writer said, our culture of on-demand binge-watching conditions us to race past the credits taking for granted the collective creative efforts behind the movies and TV shows we so voraciously consume. In other words, we, we, we don't take the time to look at all the names because we got better things to do. We might look at one actor. Who is that actor? Was he in a different movie? And then we look for that person and then we move on. And that's, that's all it is. But when I look at this quote and read that article and think about our text today... I think about two important truths that I want to really explore for us on the second week of Vision Sunday. And the first truth is this. No role is too small when you're a part of something big. No role is too small when you're a part of something big. And secondly, every name matters. Every name matters. And that's what we see in our text this morning. In that riveting text that I read for you this morning, this is what we see. What we find in chapter three of the book of Nehemiah is kind of the ancient version of the movie credits rolling up to show every single name who mattered in this moment. The book of Nehemiah is one of my favorite books in all of the Bible, and it's important to just recount. Why this book was written. The nation of Israel were overtaken by a country called Babylon. And because they were overtaken by Babylon, they were exiled, meaning that they could not stay in their homeland. They had to go into a far, far land, away from where they worshipped, away from where they went to school, away from where they were accustomed to. And so Nehemiah is in exile with his people in a foreign land, and he realizes that he needs a job. He needs to support himself. And so I imagine he goes on jobs.com to see what's available in Babylon, and he finds out that there is a job for a wine taster. Some of you are like, sign me up. That's a wine taster. (laughs) Nehemiah said, that's the kind of job I want, but it was more than just wine tasting. It was to be a cupbearer for the king of Babylon, which was more than just wine tasting. You see, the cupbearer was put in place to eat all the food and taste all the wine that the king was about to eat. The reason he was there was to make sure that the food wasn't poisoned and that the wine was okay to drink. And so this is not a job that you really want. But, and you never have to ask Nehemiah, how was your day? Because if he was alive, it was a good day. It was a, it was a good day. How was your day? I'm still here, brother. It was a really good day. And so Nehemiah somehow becomes the cupbearer for the king of Babylon, which is a, quite a strategic place of power in this kingdom. And one day he hears that his people that were once in exile are now returning to their homeland. They're returning to their homeland, but what they find in their homeland is utter destruction. What they find in their homeland are just the walls are just crumbling. The places that they really at one point loved was in total disrepair. The schools that the children attended was torn down. The pizza shop, the coffee shops where they enjoyed community together didn't, no longer existed. The place of worship that, that, that the people of God would gather was in shambles. And so Nehemiah hears that people are returning back home, but it's in disrepair, and he feels like he has to do something about it. He has authority now because he works right next to the king. And so Nehemiah begins to ask the king if something could be done about this problem. And the first thing I want you to see and understand as we think about this Vision Sunday and building together is that Nehemiah laments. He has a spirit of lamentation. He sees that there's things that are not right in the world. And that he has to do something about it. He's grieved about what's going on in the world. And when I think about what's going on in the world, we too should be grieved. Have you ever looked at what's going on in the world? The problems going on in the world, the war going on in the world, the conflicts going on in the world, the disease, the earthquakes, all the rest going on in the world, if there's one response, one reaction that should fill the hearts of the people of God, it should be lament, that there's something not right with the world, and it is very easy to live passively just to say, there's something not right with the world, let me just focus on what I want to do, but Nehemiah laments. And to lament is not simply to cry. Lament is to offer your grief to God in such a way where you open yourself up to give God access to you to actually do something about it. Lamentation is not just, I need to just cry right now. It is, Lord, I'm grieved about what's going on in the world. Would you do something in me so that I can partner with you in the healing of it? Are you with me? And so Nehemiah has a spirit of lament, and that spirit of lament actually turns into a burden. He's so grieved, but he doesn't allow his grief to just stay there and not take action upon it. He begins to actually do something about it. He's burdened by what's going on. And so he tells the king, can I do something about it? And the king says, here are some resources, here are some people Do what you think is needed in your homeland. And that's what we pick up in our text today. In Nehemiah chapter 1, he hears news that there's some bad stuff going on in his homeland. In Nehemiah chapter 2, we begin to see he's about to plan. He's preparing for what's going to happen. In Nehemiah chapter 3, we find the names of all the people who have participated in rebuilding this city who participated in rebuilding the wall. And the truth that we find is the same truth we see about those movie credits, that no role is too small when you're part of something big. And every name matters. I just love that this is in the Bible. I love that that chapter's in the Bible. I know when you get to that point in Nehemiah 3, you're like, skip, skip. I know when you're at the beginning of the gospel of Matthew and it says and so so-and-so so-and-so, and so begat so and so and so and so begat someone you're like skip let's get to the real stuff but I just love that this is in the bible because God made it, it saw fit that every name of every person who contributed to the rebuilding of the wall had their name in holy scripture my favorite phrase in chapter 3 Is a recognition that if we're going to do something together, we need to do it together. The phrase that came up over and over is next to him. So-and-so built this part of the wall and next to him. So-and-so built this this gate and next to him. So-and-so rebuilt the bars and the beams and next to him, next to him, next to him, next to him. And I love that phrase. Because if we're going to get anything done as a congregation, if we're going to work to build the body of Christ and bear witness to the kingdom of God and build together, there must be a lot of next to him and next to her as we are about to do it. And so Nehemiah really gives us a vision of what building looks like. And what does it need? and needs It needs everyone to play their role. No matter how significant you think or insignificant, there's no role too small when you're part of something big and there's nothing bigger than the kingdom of God. There's nothing more important than the kingdom of God. There's nothing in this world, on this planet, more important than what Jesus Christ is doing right here, right now. And we are all invited to build towards this. Now, when I think about our congregation. And think about this passage, and think about all those names. The question that I'm wrestling with is, what might God be calling us to build? What is God calling us collectively to give our energy to, to give our time to, to give our resources to? And there are two particular areas that I want to focus on for our time. Over the next nine to 12 months, I believe there are two specific areas. These are not the only things. But two specific areas where I believe the Holy Spirit wants to animate us individually and collectively to build together. What are we building as a congregation? Two areas of focus. The first is this. I believe God is calling us to be and to build a church with deeper missional commitment. Deeper missional commitment. There is... There are three temptations that I've talked about over the years that we must be mindful of as those who gather in this congregation. Three temptations. We we all have the temptations to to relate to our church as a mall, as a stadium, or as a subway car. Mall, stadium, subway car. A, A mall is a crowd of consumers. You get your religious goodies, you feel good about yourself. And, and, and we consume, and then we come back next week and enjoy some more. And then next week, and we enjoy some more. But, but God has called us to be more than just a mall. Or it's easy to be a stadium where we're a crowd of spectators. And we're out in the distance looking at what's happening on the field, and we think, okay, this is what God is calling me to do. But God has called us to be more than just a stadium. God has called us to be more than just a subway car. What is a subway car? A subway car is a crowd of anonymous people in close proximity who could care less whether you get to your destination or not. When you get on the subway, you're not going, I hope he makes it on time. When you get on the subway, you don't go, I wonder if he or she, if this is her stop. When someone's sleeping, you don't go, I wonder if they're missing the spot. You care about yourself, I care about myself. This is my stop, I need to get off here. And it's very easy to relate to church as a sanctified subway car. Where all we care about is our own development. And not think about anyone else. We're called to be more than a mall. We're called to be more than a stadium. We're called to be more than just a subway car. We are the family of Jesus. On mission in the name of Jesus. That God has called each and every one of us, if you are part of this community, to participate in the life of our church because God is at work in our lives, individually as well as collectively. And so what we need is a kind of a missional mindset, a missional mindset. In the Bible, there are two kinds of mindsets, two kinds of spiritualities, and I want to just show you how the difference between them. In the Bible, in the Old Testament in particular, there's something called kind of a a temple spirituality, and I want to contrast that with a missional spirituality. Temple and missional. In the Old Testament, the temple was the meeting place where God met with his people. The temple, the Holy of Holies, was the place where the presence of God dwell and so when people wanted to gather in the presence of god they would come to the building to meet with god that was a sacred space a holy space and a beautiful space something of god's character was reflected in there and for the the first few years of my life i had a temple especially following jesus i had a temple spirituality i believed that really the only place to meet god was in the temple The only place to truly meet God was in the church. And so I'd go to church five days a week, six days a week. I was at every service you could imagine. Part of it was I was really hungry for Jesus as a 19-year-old. Part of it was I just thought that's where you meet God. And so I'd go to the young adults gathering. I'd go to the women's Bible study, the men's Bible study. I'd go to somebody's house. I was at every church service you could imagine because I believe this is where God shows up. But then something happens in the New Testament, where the true temple shows up. Jesus Christ shows up and Jesus is the true temple. Jesus is the meeting place between heaven and earth. To have an encounter with Jesus is to have an encounter with the living God, amen. Jesus was the true temple, but what what made Jesus different from the Old Testament was wherever he went, God was at work. It's interesting to see that at least 80% of Jesus' miracles happened outside of the temple. Come on, somebody. At least 80% of Jesus' miracles happened outside of the temple. It happened on the streets. It happened in the villages. It happened in people's homes. What was Jesus trying to tell us and show us? That God's presence and activity far extends beyond what's happening in our four walls. And so what's even more staggering about it is Jesus is our temple, but the Bible also calls us the temple of the Holy Spirit. And you dwell, don't you know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Hear how radical this is. Wherever you go now with the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you become a meeting place where heaven and earth dwell. You didn't know that about yourself. Congratulations. This is who you are. You are a meeting place. And God is inviting us not to relegate and restrict his activity to what happens between 11 a.m. and 1215. But that God is active at your workplace. And God is active in your neighborhood. That wherever you go, if the Spirit of God dwells inside of you, there is a unique access that you have to the presence of God being expressed through your life. What does this mean? It it, it means that we must be aware that God is always inviting us into mission. To be on mission, to, to have a deeper missional commitment, begins with a theological shift in our thinking. And the, and the sh- most important shift that must take place in our minds is this. Wherever we show up, God is already working. Isn't that good news? Yes. Wherever you show up, God is already in the midst of it. From time to time, I get emails from congregants, and I love these emails because um, it, it shows the heart of this person But the email will say something like this Pastor Rich, I'm a new Christian Or Pastor Rich, I just started a new job How can I bring God there? And I get it I mean, some of your coworkers, Come on now I, your, your boss, a little demonic You know what I'm saying? I get it! I get it! It's not e- the easiest place to work I get it Like, we need God in this place here And so I get the question How can I bring God to the, to the workplace here. It's a wonderful question that gets to the heart, but there's something a bit limited about that question because it assumes that God is not already there. God is already there. In your department right now, God is already there. In your apartment complex, God is already there. In your neighborhood, God is already there. On the job, in your school, God is already there. The invitation for followers of Jesus is this. We don't bring God anywhere. God is omnipresent. God is there at all times. What we do is we discern where God is already at work in the community. This is why I love what, uh, what, what Jesus says in John chapter 5. He says, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the Father doing. Because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. In other words, I already know that the Father is at work. I don't bring God anywhere. I discern where God is already working. And that's my hope for us. My hope over the course of a year, and we're going to have a particular emphasis on mission in a few months, but my hope is that we would all live with a heightened awareness that God wants to do something through you. There are people in your world that God wants to heal, that there are people in your network of relationships that God wants to set free, that God wants to rescue, that God wants to forgive. And I think about this often. In the past year, I can think about three occasions as I'm either walking in Queens or driving in the neighborhood where I have seen people weeping as they're walking down the street. Just outwardly weeping. And I don't know what's going on, and I don't know if it was just, uh, it, it it felt providential that as I'm walking down, one person on their phone weeping. A person just walking through the streets weeping. And I think there's so many broken people in our world. There's so many hurting people in our world. And many of you understand this because you are that hurting person. You are that broken person. There are people in our world. There are people in Elmhurst Corona. People in Nassau County. People in your workplace. They are broken and in desperate need of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. My hope is that we would have a missional mentality to proclaim good news to people who are broken, people who are caught up in sin, people who are caught up in addiction. May God call us to bear witness to the good news of the gospel that God can bring dead people to life and that you have a part in playing in that. To have this missional mindset is to to recognize that as a congregation together, wherever there's poverty, wherever there's injustice, wherever people are overlooked and under-resourced, the church has an opportunity to step in, to demonstrate, not just with words, but in deeds, the goodness and the mercy of Jesus Christ. My hope for us in this missional mindset as we cultivate this deeper missional commitment is that you would see your workplace as worship space, a place to live out your faith, not just to get a paycheck. My hope is that you would see that if God has sent you here, that there are needs within the life of our own community that need to be addressed. And if God has sent you here, He sent you here because the Holy Spirit has deposited something inside of you. God has given you gifts and experiences and passions and a particular anointing for this particular community, for this particular moment in history. You are here for a reason. As I said last week, wherever Jesus went, he lived like he was sent. And if you are here, God is sending you to get something done. And so the first thing that we're called to build together is a community where we are going deeper in our missional commitment. And that means together as a church family. That means that within our small groups, when our small groups gather in, in groups of five or groups of seven or groups of eight or 10, whatever it might be, that our groups don't just exist for each other. That there are people who long to be invited into for a meal and for a conversation. That in our personal lives, church family as a whole, our small groups, our personal lives, that God would do something missionally in us. And I believe that we are on the cusp of New Life Fellowship of God doing something fresh and His Spirit being poured out on our congregation. I believe that God is going to start rescuing and saving people with the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and that God is going to use you in ways you had not even thought before. I believe the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out in some profound ways and God is already pouring out His Spirit on us. But God is going to do something in Queens here And in Nassau County And God wants you to participate in it A deeper missional commitment That's the first area where I believe God is calling us to build But here's the second What else is God calling us to build? God is calling us to build a church That reaches and disciples the next generation I believe the children are our (laughs) future. Teach them well and let them be well. Show them all the beauty they possess inside. I wrote that. That just came to me this past week. That's what I was like. But that's what we find in the Gospels. That's what we find in the, the Bible. In the Bible, God gives a particular emphasis that the people of God would hand down faith to the next generation. Let me show you one passage of Scripture in the book of Psalms. In the book of Psalms, it says, even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation. Your mighty acts to all who are to come. Do you hear the passion of the psalmist? Lord, before I check out, before I leave this planet, before I die, don't let it happen until I declare your power to the next generation. Look at the, another psalm with me. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise, his greatness no one can fathom. One generation commends your works to another. And what God has called us to do, friends, is to be a church that hands down faith to the next generation. Do you know what grieves me most as a pastor and a follower of Jesus? And I come across this on a regular basis. There are churches in our city and churches in our country that have died because there was not a commitment to multi-generational church. And now what we have are people who are advanced in years and churches have to close down. Whenever I hear of a church closing down, it breaks my heart, especially when the problem has been not a fostering of multi-generational. My prayer is that we would continually to be a, be a church where we're handing down faith to the next generation. That 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, 50 years from now, unless Jesus comes, that New Life Fellowship Church is handing down faith and handing down the character of God and discipling and forming the next generation and the generation after that. To bear witness to what Jesus is doing here in Queens and in Long Island and in New York City. And this requires everyone to take their role. We have a particular goal. And what I've discovered and what many pastors and churches have discovered in the past couple of years is that the pandemic has particularly impacted young people. Whether we're talking about social anxiety, we're talking about mental health issues. Whether we're talking about the nature of church ministry, churches that once had many, many children coming across the country, that's been a significant area of struggle. And our church is no different. This is an area for us to build, to rebuild. And there's a particular invitation that I have for us because what I'm talking about today, we're going to talk about it over and over again because I believe God wants to do something in the next generation. The specific need that we're going to be working towards as a congregation is that to really have our next-gen ministry flourish, we need 60 leaders who are going to step in and disciple those in pre-K and disciple those in elementary and hand faith down to middle schoolers And hand faith down to high schoolers Now we have a big church So I believe that God's gonna do it But there's a a shared burden That I want you to hear That what we're not doing is babysitting We're not just trying to give parents a break So that they can come and worship We're not here just to play funny We're here to shape people in the name of Jesus We're here to disciple children in the name of Jesus We're here to form teenagers in the name of Jesus. We're here to send them out to be world changers. We're here to have them knock down hell's gates and say that the kingdom of God is here. We're here to raise up missionaries and apostles and teachers, those who are 13 and 14 and 15 and younger and older, to let them know that the kingdom of God is here. That we're not in the business of babysitting. We're in the business of shaping and forming people in the name of Jesus. And what does that need? That needs people who are going to shape and form people younger than the next generation in the name of Jesus. And I believe we can do it. My hope is that in the year and years to come, that children throughout our city, children throughout Queens are saying, Mom, Dad, we, Grandma, Grandpa, we must go to church. That you're not dragging your children to church. They're dragging you to church. They're saying, I've met with God, and I want to meet with God in a fresh way with this community. And I want to learn what it means to now encounter God and then go into my school and go into the playground and go wherever God sends me to bear witness to the good news of the kingdom of God. That's why we are here. We're not here for religious goodies. We're not here just to get something done in an hour. We're here to get something done, to have Jesus Christ form each and every one of us to bear witness to the kingdom of God. And some wonderful things are happening in our next-gen areas right now, but we know that we need to do some building in anticipation of all the children and teenagers that are going to be coming. And so I'm going to show you a video just to help you get a picture Of the good work that's happening already and the invitation that jesus has for all of us to build together check this video out
4: i've been serving with next gen for about eight years i enjoy the kids the most when it comes to the ministry um, they just have so much life and so much joy, and that is what gives me joy to serve here. I am the pre-K director here at New Life. What brought me into the NextGen ministry is my love for the next generation from cradle to college. Uh, serving in the pre-K rooms, I have really loved just seeing the kids come to church and knowing that they have a space where they belong. Coming to church is not just a single person event or choice, but it's for a community.
0: So the most rewarding, fulfilling time serving at, in the Next Gen ministry were seeing the boys who
1: I promised that I would be there throughout their lives, graduate high school and now they're off to college.
4: What I enjoy the most uh, has been the connections between myself and high schoolers and also each other. You actually see them. They're themselves. Their guards are down. They're like having fun and kids should have fun. But it's like you get a glimpse that you normally wouldn't. One of our young girls, I remember her first day. She was so anxious. Like she stuck by her mom. She didn't want to come in. And I was like, okay, I get it. And the transition and transformation that I've seen in her now after being here a couple months, it's like... Holy cow like this really happened she now I can't imagine her like not speaking not talking when she comes here She's looking forward to it. I Think kids really need to have a community around them I mean, we know the phrase like it takes a village to raise a kid
0: as I think about the future um, Hope we can get more adults who want to pour into the lives of the
1: students.
4: I hope I get to see another generation of young students have community with one another. One of the obstacles that I've faced in next gen ministry is just finding a team. Oftentimes we think we need to know the Bible inside and out to be a volunteer and to lead the kids or the next generation. And. I would tell them all they care about is your availability. You have a lived experience, a shared experience that can be brought to this place with our young people and it's important, um, but also you can learn from them. A call to action I would say is to each person to stop and ponder about a time in their childhood where they felt alone, unseen, unheard, unknown. Think about that and think about who was there for them in their lives. If there was someone there, beautiful be that person for someone else. And if there was not that person there for you, that's even more of a reason that you should be that person for that child that felt the same way you did.
0: Amen. Let's have our worship team come forward. And as they come forward, there is a unique spiritual crisis among plenty of people in our nation, but I think particularly of Generation Z. Gen Z are those who comprise of people who were born between 1997 and 2012. People who are between 9 and 24 years of age. And when I think about that right now, I think about the statistics that show that 50% of those in Gen Z are what's called nuns. Not N-U-N-S, N-O-N-E-S, nuns. In other words, there's no kind of relationship to the church, to God. When they say, what's your faith? In the past, people say, oh, I'm a Christian. Why? Because my mother was a Christian. My father's a Christian. And now when they fill this out, nothing. And my hope is that God would work through our congregation to begin to change that trend. That elementary and preschoolers and middle schoolers and high schoolers would come to know of the saving love of Jesus Christ and that we would do that together. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the gift of worship, the gift of Holy Scripture, the gift of the body of Christ. You are at work in our lives and at work in our church. And I pray that we would be attentive to the invitations that Jesus is sending our way right now. Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear and eyes to see and a heart to receive and respond to what you're calling us to. And now we sing to you words of worship and praise. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, let's all stand, let's sing and respond.